This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. We're continuing our sermon series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and we're now on chapter 4, picking up where Pastor Bill left off last week. This is a longer section, kind of a complicated section. Uh, So let's uh, follow along and, and see what God has to say. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for gathering us here around your word. I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us through your word, that I would not get in the way of your word, that your truth would set us free, and that we would live lives according to it. Pray that you would lead us to be a unified body of believers, and that that unity would spread through our communities and through our country. In your name we pray. Amen. A month ago, Harper's Magazine published a letter, and the letter was entitled, A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. And this letter was signed by over 150 professors, journalists, and writers. And these professors were from colleges like Yale, Princeton, Harvard, Stanford. Uh, The journalists were syndicated journalists like David Brooks had signed this letter. Well-known best-selling authors had signed this letter like Malcolm Gladwell and Steve Pinker. But probably the, the biggest name on the list of people who signed this letter was 
the best, the one who wrote the best-selling book series of all time, J.K. Rowling, who wrote the Harry Potter series. And, and this letter, again, it was called A Letter on Justice and Open Debate. It was explaining that many of things that have happened in our country over the last few years on social justice have exposed many real problems in society. But these 150 professors and authors and, and writers were concerned that this secular social justice movement was actually causing more harm than good. And this is what they say. They said the social justice movement has intensified a new set of moral attitudes and political commitments that tend to weaken our norms of open debate and toleration of differences in favor of ideological conformity. Their concern with some of the things that are going on in society right now is setting a whole new set of moral attitudes and, and that it's promoting a whole new set of political commitments. And they were concerned that it's demanding ideological conformity and we're actually becoming more divided. We're actually becoming more hateful. We're actually becoming more, um, more divided as a nation. And they gave a few examples of, of what's happening, especially in their field of work, because of this, this hyper-ideological stance of, of ideological conformity. They said, now because of this, editors are fired for running controversial pizzas. Books are withdrawn for alleged inauthenticity. Journalists are barred from writing on certain topics. Professors are investigated for quoting works of literature in class. A researcher is fired for circulating a peer-reviewed academic study. And the heads of organizations are ousted for what sometimes are just clumsy mistakes. Whatever the arguments around each particular incident, the result has been to steadily narrow the boundaries of what can be said without the threat of reprisal. We are already paying the price and greater risk aversion among writers, artists, and journalists who fear for their livelihoods if they depart from the consensus or even lack sufficient zeal in agreement. So again, um, this group of people who signed uh, this letter said, you know, the social justice movement is, is opening up these, these problems and exposing many problems that are coming in in society, but it's not actually leading to a helpful solution. It's canceling people out. It's dividing, dividing our country more than ever. And actually, Alexander Solzhenitsyn predicted this. I mentioned him a couple weeks ago. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Christian philosopher who was a prisoner of the Soviet Union's gulags and communism. And after he experienced all of that, he was, he was released and he was exiled to the West. And with all of his life experience, he started looking at Western culture, especially the United States, and started critiquing the problems that he was seeing in our country. And so back in 1978, he gave a speech at Harvard and he was really predicting a lot of the things that are happening in 2020. This is what he said. There is a disaster which has already been underway for quite some time. I am referring to the calamity of a, of a despiritualized and irreligious humanistic consciousness. He was saying, I'm very concerned because I look at the United States, you're becoming more and more despiritualized. 
And, and your, your consciousness is just becoming humanistic, that you're, you're just looking to humanism and secularism to solve all of your problems, and it's actually becoming worse. You're becoming irreligious. And so he said, this is what you're putting in place. And this is what he was concerned about. This is so prophetic. He said, in 1978, we have placed too much hope in political and social reforms only to find out that we've been deprived of our most precious possession, our spiritual life. He's saying, we're looking to politics and to social reforms to answer problems that only God can answer. We don't just have political problems in our country. We don't just have social problems in our country. We ultimately have spiritual problems in our country. And so we need spiritual answers. And that's why we're continuing this sermon series called United in Jesus We Trust. Because as we looked at all the divide, all the the divide, the political divide, the racial divide, all the different problems that are going on, we actually need God. And so we're looking at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and Paul is concerned about the divide that was happening in the congregations, the the racial divide in the congregation between Jews and Gentiles. He was concerned about all the political divide that was going on, and he wanted to teach God's people how to be united in Christ. Christ. And so let's continue walking through Paul's letter. He's writing to his church. He's writing this from prison because he promoted a a message of unity in Christ. He was in prison for that. And now he's writing to them and trying to, to lead them continue to walk in this unity. He says this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now, this is kind of a strange thing to say. He, he's saying, don't live like the Gentiles. Well, he's preaching to a congregation full of Gentiles. So what does he mean by this? He's saying, yeah, you Gentiles, you can't live like you used to live like the rest of the world. I mean, you could say it this way. Um, we can't live like the rest of the secular world. We can't look to them to answer our deepest problems because our deepest problems are not secular Our deepest problems are spiritual, and so we need spiritual answers. And so he says, you must no longer live like the Gentiles in their futility of their thinking. Why? What's so futile about secular thinking? And he goes on to explain. He says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is due them to the hardening of their hearts. They don't have understanding of God. They've separated themselves from the life of God, and that's not God's fault. God has given clear evidence of his existence and his values. He's done in in, in three ways. First of all, he's he's given clear evidence of his existence in creation, also in our conscience, and then finally in Christ. He's given clear evidence in creation. If you look at at how well-designed our world is and our bodies are and how our bodies work together, it's mind-blowing. That's evidence of a creator. Creation is evidence of a creator. But then if you look inside of us, you also see a conscience. Every one of us has a conscience. There's this inner law, and whatever there's a law, there's an ultimate lawmaker. But the clearest way that God has given evidence of himself is in Christ. That God came into this world and he lived a perfect life in Jesus. Only Jesus could say, I've never done anything wrong. And he didn't. That's a miracle. 
He lived his perfect life. He died on the cross and he predicted he was going to come out of the grave and be alive. And he did that. And now he clearly testifies to his resurrection through the scriptures. And so God has given clear evidence of his existence. And yet by nature, the secular world is darkened in their understanding. They're separate from the life of God due to the hardening of their heart. They have shut themselves off from God. They harden their heart from God. And Paul goes on to explain that. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That that they're desensitized to the evidence that's right in front of them. And when you desensitize yourself to God and you no longer believe in God, well, there's only a few things to live for. And he says, you only live for impurity and greed. Another way you could say it, you only live for power, possessions, and pleasure. And we're seeing this throughout our culture. Living for power, so much of the talk today is about about dismantling power struggles. And so it's all about power. It's all about personal power. It's all about possessions. What can I get for myself? It's all about pleasure. If it feels good, do it. That is our new morality. And it's not leading to a better society. It's not leading us to be more unified. It's actually dividing us more than ever. Alexander Solzhenitsyn really got to the bottom of this uh, problem. Let me quote one more thing from him as he looks back on on the things he experienced in, in communist Soviet Union. He says this, Over a half century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of old people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that have befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. Since then, I have spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I have read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and I've already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that has swallowed up some 60 million of our own people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God, and that's why all this has happened. We don't just have political problems that need political reform. We don't just have social problems that need social reform. Ultimately, we have spiritual problems that need a spiritual answer. And so Paul turns to God's people and he says this, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul says, you learn not to suppress the truth. You learn not to harden your heart to the truth. You learn the truth about God. And Paul could say, I know you learned the truth because I taught you. It's kind of interesting uh, when it comes to the church in Ephesus, this was the one place that Paul actually spent a great deal of time. Usually when Paul would start up a church, when you read through the book of Acts, he would go and, and preach the gospel and start a church and raise some leaders and move quickly on to the next city. But when it came to the city of Ephesus, we read in Acts chapter 19 that Paul actually rented out a lecture hall and for two years taught the truth about Christ, taught them to look at the truth, to live by the truth, to believe the truth to not be desensitized to the truth, to not harden their hearts to the truth. But it wasn't just about teaching the truth. It was not just about learning the facts of the faith. It was about putting it into practice. And so he explained to them, he said, you were taught 
with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says you have to put off something, that old self. He says every one of us has this natural sinful nature that that none of us can say, I'm better, the people in here are better than the people out there. There's nothing about us in here that makes us better than the people out there. We have the same sinful nature as everybody else out there. In fact, all of the problems that we see out there, we can find also in here. And so Paul says the life of a Christian is to daily face those things that that are also still dwelling in us and to face them. And and he says to be made new in the attitudes of of your mind, to change your mind, to be cleansed of your mind, to think about reality the way it is according to the scriptures. And he uses the metaphor of taking off the old way of life and putting on the new way of life. It's very, very much, he's, he's very much using the words of taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes. As a young boy, I had two sets of clothes. I had play clothes and I had church clothes. And every day I would wake up and I'd put on my play clothes and I lived on this dead end road and we had a bunch of neighborhood kids and we would just go out and we'd play all day long and we would get dirty and muddy and smelly. And then we'd come home at the end of the day and my parents would say, take off those dirty clothes and go get cleaned up. And then after I would get cleaned up, I wouldn't go back and put on those dirty clothes. And that's what Paul is telling us here. You have been washed in your baptism. You have heard the gospel. You've been forgiven of your sins. Don't go back and put on those dirty clothes. Because our problems, our problems inside of us is not just a political problem. It's not just a social problem. It's a spiritual problem. And so Paul goes into some very, um, he goes into a whole list here of things that we have to put off as Christians and put on as Christians. So verse 25, he says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak, the, speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Speak the truth. What comes by nature for all of us is to lie. In fact, Solzhenitsyn said the reason we were able to kill 40 million of our own people in in Soviet Union was because people kept on lying to save themselves. They just kept on lying. But when you say the truth, you can change the world. And so what comes easy to all of us is just to lie, to save our own skin. So Paul says, take off that old clothes of lying and put on Christ. This is a spiritual problem. When people lie, this is not a social problem. It's not a political problem. It is a spiritual problem. We need to put on Christ and speak the truth for we are all members of one body. He goes on to say the other thing we need to take off. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Our whole world is is living on anger right now. We are fueled by anger. Just read any comments on any Twitter post or any, any video on YouTube. You're going to find just anger and vitriol. And, and Christians, sometimes we actually wear anger as a badge. 
We, we're anger as a badge as if this is the, the thing that's not that dangerous. In fact, we call it righteous anger sometimes, and we wear it around, we wear it all the time, and we think it's something helpful. There's an author, uh, Brant Hansen, who wrote this great book, Unoffendable, and he says this. We won't admit this, but we like being angry. We don't like what caused the anger, to be sure. We just like to think we've got something on someone. So-and-so did something wrong, sometimes horribly wrong. And anger offers us a sense of moral superiority. That's why we call it righteous anger, after all. It's righteous because clearly I am right and they are wrong. Anger is so dangerous because it just can, can fuel all sorts of other problems. And sometimes Christians, we, we think it's okay, but Paul says, take off the old clothes of anger and put on Christ so you don't let the devil get a foothold. He goes on to say, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Paul here is talking about the economy and he's saying the economy is not just a a political problem. Problems in the economy are not just a social problem. They need social reform. It's ultimately a spiritual problem. And he's talking about stealing here, but but it's not just about taking something off the shelf. It's about being selfish and lazy and self-centered. He says, instead of living like that, and that can happen to all of us, he says, take off those old clothes of of laziness and selfishness and self-centeredness and work. Do something useful with your own hands so that you might have something to share with those in need so that they won't have to steal. That working so that you can give to the poor and help others out is a spiritual answer to a spiritual problem. He goes on. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Our culture is all about tearing people down right now with our words, about canceling them, about destroying them, about canceling what they're doing and just destroying people. And he's saying, don't use your words to tear people down. Don't wear those clothes, but take those clothes off and be washed in Christ and to build people up with your words. What we're doing by tearing people down, that's not, that's not just a political thing that happens in politics. That's not just a, a racial thing. It's not just a social thing. That is a spiritual thing that we should never speak against other people to tear other people down, but to build them up. That may benefit those who listen. In our whole household, we use this acronym that, that sometimes can be helpful. It's, the acronym is THINK. And we say that we only speak things if they're truthful, helpful, interesting, necessary, and kind. And so when our children are tearing each other down with their words, we're saying, are you thinking with your words right now? Are, are you thinking? Is what you're saying right now, is that truthful? Is that helpful? Is that interesting? Is that necessary? Is that kind? This is a, a spiritual issue. It's not just something that's happening socially. It's not just something that's happening politically. It's a spiritual issue. And so take off those old clothes of tearing people down with your words and build people up. Paul goes on, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The Holy Spirit is grieving as he looks at our culture 
Because he wants to give us the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. But instead what he sees is bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, and malice. And really those could all be summed up in this whole idea of revenge. That we have this, this idea that I have to get, back, get people back for what they've done to me. And so it, it happens that someone wrongs me and I, so I have to wrong them and get them back, get my revenge. And then they feel wronged and so they feel like they have to get revenge. And then it just keeps on going and snowballing in our culture. And this idea that I have to keep getting re- revenge and keep hurting other people and keep tearing people down, this is not just a social problem. It's not just a political problem. This is a deeply spiritual problem. And the answer is a spiritual one. He says, be kind and compassionate one another, forgiving each other. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. Let it go. Don't hold on to it. God forgave you. He let it go in Jesus Christ. We see example of this when he's on the cross. He's, he's, on, he's being nailed to the cross and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I don't think that necessarily means that the people who crucified him, that, that they all of a sudden became believers and And went to paradise. I don't know if that's the answer. But what I do know is Jesus was saying, I am not going to drink the poison of vengeance. I am not going to get revenge. I'm going to give this over to my father. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to take off the clothes of vengeance. Because when we want to get revenge, that's not just something that happens politically. When we get revenge, it's not just a social problem. That is a deeply spiritual problem that needs to be answered with the Holy Spirit. Now, I've rattled through a whole list of of lots of things that we have to take off and put on in Christ. But it's all summed up in this, this last verse in this section. Paul says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Love. Walk in the way of love. That's what our answer is. All those professors and and writers and journalists that signed that that letter on justice and open debate, they, they said, we have all these problems, racial, political, societal problems going on, but our solution is making things worth. We need a spiritual answer. And here's the spiritual answer, that we'd walk in the way of love as Christ loved us. The reason it's not working right now is we have forgotten God. God is the answer He is the source of love. He created all of us as humans so that we would treat each other as creations of God, as human beings. Our problem is we've forgotten God. So let's remember him. Let's follow him. Let's take off our old self every day and put on our new self that is created to be like Jesus. Then we will be united because in Jesus we trust. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look at all of the division, all the problems, all the the things that are going on in our world right now, we recognize that they're also going on in our own hearts. And so we pray that you would forgive us, that you would renew us, that you would lead us to take off our old way of living and that we would be renewed to live like you, that we would unify people, that we would all be united in 
Jesus, Lord God, we cannot do this without your help. And so fill us with your Holy Spirit and lead us in the way of love. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.